and welcome back to the Women of Web3 podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Ingram. I'm also the founder of Women of Web3. We're a community that's connecting women in the next iteration of the internet through job opportunities, learning resources, and connections. You can find out more on our website, womenofweb3.co, or on Twitter at womenofweb3co. Today, I'm really happy to be joined by Chrissy Hill. She's got some really interesting experience behind her before she ended up in the somewhat wild world of Web3. She's originally from Charleston, South Carolina, but for the last 20 years, she's been a Londoner like me. She started out as a lawyer before moving into investment banking, and later she was Chief Operating Officer at the Tony Blair Institute for Global Change. Most recently, she's made the leap from that traditional world into Web 3.0, where she leads Parity, which builds blockchain infrastructure for other companies. But before we get too far into the details, let's get Chrissy to tell us more. Hi, Chrissy. Welcome to the show. Hi, Lauren. Thanks for having me on. I'm really privileged to be part of what you're doing as a woman of Web3. Thank you so much. So the format of the show is we always start off with a quick jargon buster, as every day is a school day in Web3. So how would you describe the blockchain for absolute beginners? That's a hard one, right? Well, you know, we're always coming up with different ways to explain what we do because it's all new. The learning curve is steep, but short. And trying to find ways to make what we do speak human to people, I think is really important. And so I always think in these cases, what, how would I get my 80-year-old parents to kind of understand what the blockchain is? And so this is a useful little story that I came upon, which I thought illustrated it really well. So think of a a child, say her name is Sally, and it's Christmas time and she's writing a letter to Santa. And so she sits down, she writes the letter and she asks for a dog and she writes about the breed and how much she's going to love it. And, you know, that's what she wants under the Christmas tree. And so she gives the letter to her mom and because Sally is too little to post the letter herself. So mom on the way to the post office reads the letter. Now, mom is upset with Sally because mom keeps on saying to her, we can't get a dog, right? So please don't ask Santa for a dog. You're just going to be disappointed. So mom then changes dog to jigsaw puzzle. So Sally, when she opens her present that Christmas, she gets a jigsaw puzzle and not a dog. Now, that illustrates kind of the current version of Web 2, which is you've got someone who is writing this letter Mom is the middleman, right? And then, you know, the ultimate goal is getting that letter to Santa, but you have to go through mom to get to Santa. And things can happen. Things can change. There can be unintended consequences. So what the blockchain does is when Sally sits down to write her letter next Christmas, she decides to use the blockchain, which is, of course, an electronic way of sending information. And very smart Sally. <laughs> very smart Sally. She's learned a lot in the last year. <laughs> She's um, been sitting in her coding classes at school and figured all this out and gotten herself a computer. So what she does is she sits down and writes the exact same letter, but this time she sends it via the blockchain to the network, which is a bunch of computers basically hooked together and it's monitored by Santa, the elves, her friends, her family. But her mom is also part of the network. So when her mom gets the letter, she's like, oh, this kid asking for a dog again. So she tries to change dog to a ball. But this time, because it's all connected in the network and 
her computer, the mom's computer, is the only one that says ball instead of dog, the mom's computer is booted out of the network, right? And so Santa and the elves and everyone else who has the letter saying dog receive that, and that's what Santa begins to work on, and then Sally gets a dog under the Christmas tree. (laughs) (laughs) If only it was that easy to get myself a dog. But I really like that metaphor. Thank you for, yeah, simplifying things in a helpful way. I'm guessing you have to use metaphors all the time in your new role. Uh, So, well, you're you're now leading Parity as the general counsel, part of the new C-suite there. Will you give me a sort of potted history of your career so far, and, and then how did you end up at Parity? Sure. So in 2002, I was fresh out of law school and decided that I was going to come to London to be an equity and debt markets lawyer at Linklater's for two years. I decided on London because I had had a job offer from Linklater's in New York, Hong Kong, or London. And I thought New York was too close to home. Hong Kong was too far away from home. So London was just right. (laughs) (laughs) So I uh, came here to basically try something new and and live in a new country, but just for two years. 20 years later, I'm still here, right? (laughs) (laughs) You blink and these things happen. But I moved from equity and debt markets into compliance in an investment bank in Barclays Capital in 2006. Now, compliance at that time was not the profession that it is today because this was pre-financial crisis. But it was just when lawyers started to make the move from private practice into investment banks to start to do this advisory compliance. And then, of course, the financial crisis hit in 2008 and compliance became a completely different thing. So that was, you know, kind of my first foray into something new and unexpected and I was 29 single and why not try something new, right? Mm -hmm. And I did that for seven years. And then again, something new came along, which was working for a former UK prime minister as their head of legal and compliance. And uh, he was, uh, Mr. Blair was doing things himself with the work he was doing after uh, he left office. And so I was very keen to go and get involved with that because how many times do you get an opportunity to work with a former UK prime minister. Great nine years there and ended up as their COO and general counsel, but decided at the end of last year that it was again time for something new. And this role as general counsel for Parity came across my plate. And at first I was like, no, I don't know anything about this um, or very little about this. And so, you know, this isn't for me. But then I started to think about it more. And, you know, I think that is what you would call my Web3 light bulb moment. And from a legal point of view, it's the frontier. And again, how exciting is it to be involved in the new area of regulation and law that's coming our way? And I am very privileged to be a part of that now. So you mentioned your light bulb moment. Was there a sort of trickle effect of a few things that made you think there's something in this kind of Web 3.0 that like I, I want to be want to be in there? Was there anything else as well as this role appearing that um, had caught your interest? So there were a few things. I would say one light bulb moment was when someone said to me, Chrissy, you say you don't know anything about Web 3 and about coding, but actually you do. Don't you realize you were one of the first coders? And I was like, well, what are you talking about? And so I'm 45. And um, she said, well, listen, when you were in computer lab, 
weren't you sitting in front of an Apple computer with a green screen? And didn't you have to type in backslash, backslash, run, you know? And I was like, oh, yeah. And she was like, well, you're one of the first coders then. Because every computer at that point, you needed to type commands in in order to make something happen. Mm -hmm. So that made it very accessible to me. And that was a real light bulb moment for me to, to say, well, okay, I've got more knowledge in this than I thought. And as I went along, there were a few more moments like that where I could say, right, this might be something new, but actually it reminds me of, say, like, I mean, Discord reminds me of the 1990s chat rooms, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you're constantly finding things that you can relate to. And then whether you use a metaphor or whether it's a direct comparison, you begin to see yourself in Web3. And then I would say also another light bulb moment was at the Tony Blair Institute, there was a tech policy team. There is a tech policy team. And they had started to write a lot about Web3. And so I had been following their output and their policy recommendations and, you know, it all came together. So those, I think, are a few of the light bulb moments I've had. And since then, I've just been a sponge just trying to soak up everything I can find. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. I've been yeah doing the same for the last few months and just like you just wake up with like blockchain and Bitcoin coming out your ears when you <laughs> in the mornings. And, and Lauren, don't you think that like in the last four months, there has just been an explosion of information? Mm-hmm. I find from January, December, when I was looking and really, you know, getting into it to today, it's almost, I, I can't keep up with all of the information and all the new ways of thinking about it. So I really appreciate following what you do because I think you do a great job of distilling it down into bite-sized chunks that, again, people can relate to and that make sense. And the jargon busting is fantastic. Mm-hmm. So I think that being really conscious of who is curating the information that you're reading about Web3 is, is really important. So thank you for doing that because I know it's a tough job. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, I do try to sort of yeah, demystify this area. And I do think the, the podcast is good for that of being able to hear people talking naturally about these things. And yeah, so talking, uh, yeah, using metaphors, anything like that to kind of yeah, normal speech, normal prose, rather than necessarily, I don't know, some, some of the documents or websites you see, uh, partly sometimes it's a terrible user experience. Yeah. It sometimes feels that you need to be a developer to be able to get your head around this stuff. And I, I do still think out of all of the aspects of Web 3.0, I think blockchain technology itself and I guess some of yeah I guess some of the kind of more technical nature of it that's what I'm least confident with I'd say Mm. I tend to be I tend to gravitate to all the sort of creative side of it because I'm from a sort of agency background but will you tell me more about what parity does and and yeah do do keep it to to some extent beginner level I I find it really helpful hearing yeah so bringing it to life exactly what the company does and how you work with your clients and also a little bit about the history of how it came about Okay, sure. I'll I'll do my best because I must admit I'm four months in and I certainly cannot speak to the technological side of things in Mm -hmm. a way that does it justice Mm -hmm. and only talk about these things in a way that makes sense to me, (laughs) which might actually be not be a bad thing um, (laughs) in some cases. So Parity was founded in 2016 and it was founded by Dr. Gavin Wood who is credited with coining the term Web 3.0, which has been shortened to Web 3. And he coined that term in 2014 in a paper that he published. So 
I am extremely privileged to be working with blockchain pioneers. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's obviously Gavin at the forefront, but also the entire company is just filled with these pioneers, best in the world. And, And you know what? They're amazing educators. It's a real, as I said, privilege to be working with them. So Gavin created Parity, again, two years after Ethereum, and he was a co-founder of Ethereum and the CTO there. And what he wanted to do was set up a blockchain infrastructure firm, right? Or some people call it a software development studio. Now, what does that mean? That means that, you know, one of the most important parts of Web3 is that it envisions a decentralized web and blockchain is a key part of that technology. Again, think of Sally's network that she sent the letter to, that if one person changed, that computer got kicked out because the single source of information was duplicated across all the other computers and networks. And and that's an important concept. And in terms of building an infrastructure to support that, like, what do you need? Like, how do people even put together a blockchain? What does it look like? How do people code on it? Like, what language do they use? Uh, Because there are different coding languages. How do they test what they're doing to make sure that it works before it goes live? These are all things that the ecosystem that Parity works on, puts together, right? And and builds and maintains and keeps iterating. So it's always improving. Mm-hmm. And so I think of it, again, to use another metaphor, as Parity is working on the infrastructure that is under a city, such as a subway, right? So your subway can go to, say it's New York, Queens or Brooklyn or Broadway, whatever it may be. And it's the same subway, but the stops are different. So blockchain technology allows people to do what they want with the chain. So it might be crypto or it might be digital IDs or it might be digital timestamps. I mean, the, you know, uh, it might be helping with elections and uh, voter registration really the the lists are endless. So Parity helps build and maintain that infrastructure, that subway that uh, makes Web3 possible. Amazing. So you mentioned that the Web3 Foundation is one of your main clients, is that right? Yes. And they they maintain a network that's called Polkadot. And Polkadot is essentially kind of the next chapter of blockchain. So if you think of chapter one being Bitcoin, and that's like an intro to crypto. Chapter two is Ethereum, and it's introduced smart contracts and programmable money. And then chapter three is Polkadot. And Polkadot is a truly open platform for all Web3 apps of all types. And it has technology that allows all the different members of the ecosystem to talk, all the different parachains to talk. So it's uh, scalable, it's upgradable, and it's secure. Wow. This really must have been this like massive learning curve then coming from the Tony Blair Institute into like full, yeah, talking blockchain infrastructure and even just what you're talking about, these next chapters of the blockchain. If you're 
like not necessarily that familiar with the first and second chapter. Yeah, there must, must have been a, a lot to contend with. What was that like? Part of the learning curve, but also the sort of culture change of working somewhere like the Tony Blair Institute through to working at Parity. Well, I mean, both places are led by charismatic founders. Mm-hmm. And they both have a clear vision of the world and what the world could be. Mm. And to work with people who look at the world in that way is really exciting. It's dynamic. It's also fast-paced. And it's demanding. Mm -hmm. So in those ways, the the cultures are, are similar. Then you get to working practices and the people within the different places. And I mean, engineers and people who work on policy or who sit with government leaders, they they are quite different, right? Mm -hmm. And I would say one of the things that I have found very positive about the parity culture, and I mentioned this earlier, is that the engineers are amazing educators. They really are passionate about what they're building and what they're doing and what they're looking to achieve. So they always relish the opportunity to tell people about it because it's their worldview and and it's their, their life's work. It's their baby in a way that you might not see in, say, a policy environment or, you know, uh, an advisory environment as I was in before. Now, it's interesting from a cultural perspective that it's very male-dominated, which is actually something that I expected because, of course, everyone knows after 1984 because of what was happening in culture with different ads and movies and messaging about programming that there was a steep decline in the number of women involved in programming and engineering. So it's it's not a surprise that there are more men involved and educated in this area than women, although that is, of course, being rectified. But it is definitely one of the things that I am looking at as a woman entering this area, and it is a distinct lack of diversity, which mm-hmm. I think is no one's fault. It's just kind of a a product of uh, what has happened and, again, being rectified. But it's as a woman entering this space, which is part of the reason why I really support what what you do, I think it's really important to talk about that Mm -hmm. because what we work with is ideas. We don't make widgets. It's about ideas, and you have to have a diversity of thought in order to come up with the best ideas. And that diversity of thought has nothing to do necessarily about your your gender or your sexual orientation or your race or you know whatever characteristic that we want to talk about. It's about again that diversity of thought and having more people around who are different and bring a different perspective is is really important. And so one of the things I really want to work at is making sure that that continues to improve. And I think every company involved in the space is really active in making sure there's improvement in these areas, as are we. But um, you have to be deliberate and you have to be vocal. And uh, that's what I want to be a part of. Totally. I, I, I totally agree on the um, on the need for that yeah, diversity of thought. Um, actually, I, I don't know if I completely agree that lots of companies are talking about it that actively in the Web3 space. I mean, 
it's, it's sometimes hard to tell actually because I think being on social media such as sort of Twitter, LinkedIn, etc., it does tend to push you more of the same sort of thing as you're already interacting with. So yeah, it's it's hard to have a a completely balanced view as to kind of what it, what is out there, what's being talked about. But I feel like not that many bigger companies or like you know well-funded startups are necessarily addressing the diversity point and I would love to see more thought on that and also kind of more in, genuinely investment in, in actual dollars as well investment in you know having a sort of partly a diverse workforce but thinking about sort of in, inclusive practices and things because we, we already know lots from kind of existing companies or what we would probably call web 2 companies we already know lots that we can sort of then go and apply when thinking about how do we build these new teams that are building new products mm. and help people feel and not just in- included, but kind of, yeah, that sense of belonging when they're part of a team. And yeah, that just feels like a, a, a really big and exciting opportunity. I, I think your point about who you follow on LinkedIn and, you know, uh, social media does impact how you view this particular topic. And and I think, I think you, you're right to challenge how many companies are actually making a good faith effort. Mm-hmm. Not just talking about it, but making a good faith, real effort to address these particular points. I also wonder if people are afraid to talk about it. And that's always something that we have to to think about and provide spaces for people, both within companies and outside of companies, to voice these concerns and come up with ideas. Yeah, I've been grappling with the same stuff with women of Web3. I wasn't sure whether to call it that or like whether to shape it in that way when I first started it because I felt like "Hmm, maybe I should be thinking broader than that, kind of partly all genders or maybe a sort of broader diversity point. And I was like, actually... I think actually the women thing does need addressing because it does feel like quite a a noticeable imbalance and something that I hope to change. And yeah, you can just sort of solve the problem that's closest to me or right in front of me, which is, you know, I am a woman. And I guess my part of my worry is some of it might seem anti-male or even when I'm saying this is a very sort of male heavy area, male dominated, I don't want that to sound like automatically a, a a terrible thing I, I don't necessarily think it is it's, it's partly been on like who's interested in this area and has sort of pursued it so far yeah this is our opportunity to sort of open the doors of like this is going to be technology that affects everybody like absolutely everybody so how do we get everybody into it and connect with it and make sense of it and and build in it yeah, and I agree because I think when you say those when you address topics like this it can come across as excluding people, but that's not what you or I are wanting to do. We want to be inclusive, Mm. Um, but you do have to recognize that there are differences. And actually, we don't live in a utopia where as much as the Web3 philosophy is that everyone is equal, it's, you know, very democratic, it's very decentralized, we're not there yet. And even within the people who work on the technology, we're not there yet. And, and one of the points that I bring up internally, of course, because I, you know, this is an area of, of interest to me personally and professionally, is the fact that when we talk about Web3, what we are doing is we are talking to people who have reliable, high-speed access to internet. Mm-hmm. We're talking to people who have continuous access to electricity. And we're talking to people who have the means to buy the hardware necessary in order to participate in Web3. That's not, I mean, that's about half the world. 
right? I mean, it's really yeah. important for us to remember that we want to change the world. That's what Web3 wants to do, but it really needs to change the world for everyone. And mm-hmm. if you can't address some of those basic infrastructure points, everyday, real life, this is not an algorithm. This is access to electricity and broadband and, and having a laptop that there are going to be people who are left behind. And then again, you'll lose that diversity of thought and opinion and innovation. And that will be detrimental to the whole project, uh, not to mention to, you know, people on a day-to-day basis. And, and I I'll want to make sure that that doesn't happen. Exactly. Well, thank you for that. And think, so thinking ahead to future plans, if you're allowed to share future plans for Parity, <laughs> yeah, what, what can you tell me? What's coming up? Well, we are working to refine and improve upon what we have in place right now. And continuously, the thing um, also I think that's interesting about working in Parity is that once something is completed, Obviously, it can always be improved upon. It can always be upgraded. So it's a constant process of iteration and perfection. And it's the work is never done. And I know lots of people say that. But I mean, I think, you know, this is infinite, really. And there are plans to be looking into more improvements, especially for the ecosystem, especially around governance, which is a very important topic if we're looking at uh, how democratic and decentralized Web3 will be. So those are some things to watch for in the future. Amazing. So so we tend to finish on what kind of tips you have for listeners. Is there anything you think, especially the blockchain, actually, is there anywhere people should start looking to learn about the blockchain? and sort of have things broken down in easy to digest ways? Well, of course I'm biased, but I do find the Parity Technologies website really, really helpful. There are some great videos there that have been helpful to me to not only learn about what Parity does and about Polkadot, but also generally Web3 and the blockchain. I also have found that, for instance, what you do is very helpful, curating a bunch of information that's out there, finding people that you like to follow, who speak to you, who take what is out there about Web3 and blockchain, and then you retell it in a way that resonates. And also, I think joining groups help. So there are uh, different organizations out there. They may be for women. They may not be for women. I mean, some of the ones that come to mind are Boys Club. Some of the other ones that come to mind from a legal perspective are like Tech GC. Hmm. Uh, There are industry groups for regulators that, you know, essentially speak to regulators and to lawmakers. And there is more of a drive within the blockchain community to start to be active in those spaces. Because of course, Regulation is here and it's coming, and I think that there needs to be a dialogue on both sides from the engineers, but also from uh, the lawmakers, so there is an understanding of what is meant to be achieved, what can be achieved, and, and what makes sense. So innovation is not stifled, and innovation actually does help achieve what Web3 envisages, right? Which is 
more democracy, more decentralization, more privacy for people, and equality or equity, depending, but but we won't get it. (laughs) So I think whatever industry you're coming from and being someone based in the legal profession looking at Web3 and what's happening, I've been trying to piece together this jigsaw of where I get my information from. And it's not one single source. I think that's the main takeaway. And also, I would say, just be careful of echo chambers. And Mm -hmm. we were talking about earlier, and make sure that you're always reaching out for the challengers of Web3. I think those are equally as important as the proponents. So, and there are a few podcasts along those lines, should you search for them. (laughs) (laughs) That's also something I'm interested in. I've recently started something called Web3 UK, as I wanted to sort of create a, a sort of forum for people working in this space to be able to come together, partly about sharing ideas, but also like events, job opportunities. So it's separate to women of Web3. I just wanted to kind of connect up people in the UK interested in this space because partly because I think ultimately it will need more regulation and you're right there'll need to be a sort of balanced tempering the sort of fearfulness around new technologies it probably does need some more regulation to help this area grow up more that's probably thinking longer term so I realize I've been talking quite a lot when I meant to be interviewing you oh I find it I find it interesting it's been a great conversation I feel like I've been talking a lot Lauren (laughs) point that's the point Uh, so lastly Chrissy where can people find you online well I don't have a huge presence at the moment because as I said I have been really focused on being a sponge so that when I could come out and talk about what I am doing that you know I'm doing it in in a proper manner and an intelligent manner and also an accessible manner so Mm. This session with you is actually uh, my first foray as general counsel of Parity Technologies into explaining all of this. So you have to give me your feedback and tell me how you did, how I did. Uh, (laughs) But I am on LinkedIn and I'm also on Twitter. So that's USC Hill. So it's some people read it as us chill, actually, but it's my alma mater, the University of South Carolina, and my surname, Hill. But actually, it's turned out to be great that everywhere I've worked, part of my email address has always been chill. And that's not a bad thing for a lawyer to have, (laughs) right? So you much rather get an email from a lawyer that, you know, the email address is chill at whatever, than, you know, something (laughs) kind of more blood pressure raising. (laughs) Amazing. I love that. Well, I've, yeah, I really enjoyed our conversation and thanks for letting me rabbit on quite a lot. Thank you so much for your time, Chrissy. No, thank you, Lauren. I really enjoyed it. This has been the Women of Web3 podcast brought to you by Women of Web3. If you enjoyed today's show, please give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts so more people can find the show. You can keep up to date with amazing jobs, opportunities, learning resources, and connect with other women by following at Women of Web3 Co on Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. That's at Women of Web3 Co. So feel free to tweet us with any questions about the show, and thank you for listening.